0: Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of Godly Conference, or Spiritual Conversations Among Believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me today is my co-host and friend, Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. He's also officially now a deacon at Two Rivers Community Church. But you didn't get me a hat. Oh, (laughs) Uh well you're you've been canonized, so even if you don't have a hat, you are your official. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> so today we're gonna get right to it because uh we got a lot to cover. Um a few months ago we did overview of the book of Psalms. Um we enjoyed doing that. I'm not sure about our listeners because it was our least listened to podcast uh in recent days, but um We're going to do it anyway because we do this for fun. Um, If you like it, great. If not, we'll have fun. So we're going to do another overview of of a book of the Bible. Today we're going to talk about Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans is uh, one of the most important books in the entire Bible. Uh, New Testament or old, Paul wrote it to explain his gospel to the people of Rome. He had never... Personally visited Rome. Yeah, of course, being an apostle, uh, the Roman Church knew him by name and reputation. He was introducing himself because he planned to visit Rome at some point to get help um, financially and prayerfully uh, to support a mission trip to Spain. And so Paul was writing them, explaining his gospel that he preached all over the Roman Empire, around the Mediterranean at least. And he he explained his gospel to them so they'd understand what he preached and and hopefully uh, he'd be able to get their support for his further mission. Now uh, we're uncertain whether Paul ever made it to uh, Spain or not, uh, but he, he that was certainly his aim and goal, as you can see in the last few pages of the letter to Romans. So. Uh, we're going to start with just giving a quick outline of the book, and then we're going to dive in deeper into each of these sections right. and hopefully move quickly because right. it's, it's a lot of stuff to cover in a short period of time. It is. There's
1: one caveat for us to talk about before we break down the outline, and it's just to understand this simple fact that books of the Bible break down into categories or genres. And this particular book of the Bible, Romans, is the genre is a letter. So what does that mean for us? That means that Paul's writing a letter to a church. That means he's writing for a particular point. So as Jeremy is want to say many times, sometimes when we read the Bible, we tend to want to think of it like all the books of the Bible are proverbs. So everything's short and pithy and to the point, and we can pull out what we want. But that's not how this works. So this is a this is one book this is a letter he's writing for a particular point and hopefully when we get done with this overview you'll understand generally, what the point that Paul was seeking to write Romans for, but I think that's important before we begin, right. that we understand that he's writing for a particular purpose. And so you could also say it like this, I heard some people say it like this, this is Paul's introduction to this church. This is him laying out his found, the foundational doctrine that he holds to, so that they know that he's authentic, that he's real, and that he believes the same thing they believe.
0: Right, right. So he starts You know, so I think it's good to read what I think is the thesis statement of what Paul is writing um, about in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. He gives that, what I believe, and many others have said, is his thesis statement. He says there, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So this this entire book of Romans is about the gospel. It's about righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Romans one one through seventeen is an introduction to the book um, where Paul Introduce, briefly introduces himself and his concern for the Romans. And then a Romans chapter the rest of Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3 verse 20 describes the universal guilt of humanity. Romans chapter 3 and 4, well Romans chapter 3 beginning of verse 21, explains justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, this, even though it's a maybe a short section, it's absolutely pivotal for all the rest of the book. So we've got to understand Romans three and four before we even before we move on, um, and teaches justification by faith. Then Romans five and Romans five through Romans eight, I think form a section. There are some who would include Romans five with Romans 3 and 4, but I think, and you'll see why in a little bit, Romans 5 through 8 would be better, uh, be a unit by themselves. And this passage classically has been understood as teaching sanctification. So Romans chapter 3 and 4 is about justification, how to be made right with God, how to be saved. Um, Sanctification is How do we live now as Christians? So Paul talks about how to be saved in Romans 3 and 4, and Romans 5 through 8 are about about how to live out the Christian life. And and the overall theme there isn't sanctification per se, but the assurance, the hope of glory, as we'll see. So we'll get to that uh, when we... Dig deeper. And then Romans nine through eleven, um, Paul. One of the points he's been making throughout the book of Romans is that the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile, which would lead to the question: Well, what about what about all the promises that God had made to Jewish people um, throughout the Old Testament? And has God been faithful to those promises? And Paul argues in Romans 9 through 11 that God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful to the promises that he's made to his old covenant people. Romans chapter 12 through the end of the book really is is just a practical section that deals deals with all kinds of things. Christian view of government, uh, Christian freedom, uh, there, there are commands there, things that we need to do, and so forth, and we'll talk more about those when we get to it. So that's that's an overview of the book of Romans, re- of the outline, really. So let's dig deeper, Matthew.
1: I think that's a good thing <laughs> for us to start. So we go back to chapter 1, Jeremy read the thesis in 16 and 17, then Paul begins his argument in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through, as Jeremy said, 3.20. So the argument is basically this, everybody's guilty. No one has righteousness in and of themselves, whether inherent or earned. So he starts with chapter 1, and he lays out the case that the Gentiles, the non-believers, stand condemned before God, so much so that they had the truth and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and therefore they worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who's blessed forever. And because of this, God gives them up, which, if you haven't taken the time to listen to Jeremy's sermons as he's preached through Romans, he spends much time talking about these those words and how just chilling those words actually are, that God gave them up. Right, it's terrible. It is. And so God gives them up and then what then what comes in the Romans is then Paul lays out this list of sin. God gave them up and so they they, we, all of us, all humanity, participates in all of these terrible, horrible things. It's the longest list of sin in the entire Bible is the end of Romans one. And the thing that all the caveat that always catches me off guard is in the midst of all this list of sins, we're not so bad that we just commit the sins that are known. There's this phrase that we're inventors of evil things. So that we create new ways of demonstrating our depravity, new ways of just showing how guilty we are. And so that's Romans one. And then he transitions in Romans two to the Jews. So they would look. So you get to Romans 2 and verse 3, and Paul says there, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God. In other words, just because you're religious, just because you're righteous, just because you're a Jew and you're not a Gentile, doesn't mean you escape the the judgment, the guiltiness of all humanity. And so in Romans 2, Paul then lays out this case that the religious people, religion in and of itself is not a way to escape your guiltiness. So then he, and then it leads to the culmination when you get to Romans 3 and verse 10, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All of us, all of humanity, Jew, Gentile, all of us stand guilty before God and that there's no one who can escape this guilt.
0: And when we say guilt, we don't mean subjective guilt. Right. Like, I feel guilty. It's You actually are guilty, objectively guilty. You're a sinner. That, that's the point Paul is making. You may—someone uh, who is guilty of being a sinner may not feel the guilt, which is— uh, one of the ways that God gives us up, um, feeling guilty is a good thing because uh, by grace it leads to repentance. But um, what we see in this passage is, is guilty sinners, objectively guilty, the Gentiles refuse to repent because they suppress the truth, the religious people refuse to repent because they have the, they have the law. They have, so they have religious knowledge. They have circumcision. In in case of the Jews, they have the law and they have circumcision, and so they don't repent. Um, in the case of religious people in general, we have religious knowledge and we have religious rituals, and so we don't repent because we're in possession of those things. Um, but and then we, and then I love where Paul calls them in verse three: "You who judge." those who practice such things and yet do them yourself it's they're not they're not obeying the commands they're not obeying God and loving him any more than the Gentiles are they just have the law they just have circumcision or take out Jews and put in whatever <laughs> religion it is they have religious knowledge and they have uh, their rituals uh, but they're practicing the same thing as the Gentiles are as well, and they were refusing to repent. So in the conclusion, like you said, is there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one of those religious people, not one of those Gentile pagan sinners are righteous in God's sight. All the world stands before God guilty. Right. And so But
1: Paul doesn't stop there in that bleakness. Thankfully. Thankfully. (laughs) He then transitions to chapter 3 and verse 21, where he starts the section on justification with his hope. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, while we all stand objectively guilty before God, Paul's next statement is: "But we have righteousness, but that righteousness is found in Christ." And so, what Paul will then do in chapters three, t- three, verse twenty through the end of chapter four is explain what this righteousness looks like. How does it operate? How do we how do we obtain it? How do we get and we get it through Christ And that's chapter three and then you transition to chapter four and chapter four is Paul uses Abraham as an example of what this righteousness looks like. this person who was the, the father, the father of Judaism, of not only Judaism but of mo- many religions. This key figure, this father, how is he made righteous? Well, he's made righteous because of Jesus. Because he trusted in Jesus, so his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Right. And that's the that's the reality for all of us. The only way we're made righteous is if our faith is is counted as righteousness. If we trust in the Christ. Then and then alone do we have the righteousness that we need so that we no longer stand objectively guilty before God.
0: Right, and in this section in Romans chapter 3, especially in verse 22, we I mean the whole passage is needed for the context, but this is where you see that three of the five solas from the Reformation. Um, salvation or justification is by grace alone, faith alone, through Christ alone. Um, and this is what Paul is teaching in this passage. Um, he's really, you know, he's making, there. there's a righteousness that we obtain by the law, there's a righteousness that we obtain by faith. He's contrasting them, and the first three chapters are saying that the righteousness by, by the law is impossible. It's not even a real pathway that any human being can follow because of the universal guilt. The only pathway that's available to us is righteousness through faith because Jesus became our substitute, because he was our redeemer, because he propitiated God's wrath. That's the only path that's now available to sinners, and we're all in that category of sinners. We obtain that righteousness of God, not It's not an achievement by us, it's a gift from God, so he gives it to us as we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, and even Abraham did the same thing. This is justification, okay, and in case you're not sure about these theological terms, justification really means two things, that our sins are forgiven and that Christ's righteousness is has been put on our account the word that the reformers use is imputed so that we stand before God instead of being guilty as Paul talked about in Romans one through three we stand before God as righteous not because of the righteousness is our righteousness but because it's God's own righteousness he gives as a gift so then Romans chapter five through eight then talk about now. Now that we're justified, now what? How do we live out that faith? So Romans 5 and verse 2, it talks about rejoicing in the hope of glory. And then in Ro- then at the end of Romans 8, it's also talking about this hope of glory. Uh, this, this is a way of telling us that this section all goes together, and that the theme of that chapter is the hope of glory. Or I think another way of saying it is assurance, because the glory is heaven. The glory is eternal life. The glory is being completely made like Christ. So that's that's the goal and aim of the Christian life, to be eventually glorified. And so Romans 5 and 8 talk about that that aim, that goal. And what Paul's wanting to do, we have this hope of glory— and it's it's assurance that we're going to make it. Uh, this section, especially in Romans chapter eight, teaches us that if we're justified, if we've truly been saved, if we've truly trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, we will certainly be glorified. We will reach heaven. We will be made like Christ. And that important that is important because. In our outline, we said this is about sanctification, and that that assurance that we're right with God is important for our Christian walk, Um, because otherwise, our Christian walk becomes a way to earn God's righteousness, and we've already seen in Romans that that's impossible. So, as when we look at this passage, Paul's not saying this is a way to earn righteousness, He's saying this is how a Christian lives out his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things Paul talks about uh, here in Romans 5, 12 through 21 is the contrast between Adam and Christ. Adam brought sin and death into the world through his sin, but Christ brought life and righteousness into the world through his life and death. And so Adam and Adam and sin and death have been kicked off the throne, and Christ, the King, has taken the throne, and now life and righteousness reign. And this is this is our standing in Christ. This is the realm that we're in. We're in the kingdom of God. We're in the covenant of grace, where life and righteousness and Christ reigns. And so in this pass in this. In this section, then, Paul is telling us that we're dead to sin. Sin's been kicked off the throne. Uh, in Romans chapters 6 and 7, Paul, Paul talks about our relationship to the law and that we've been freed from the law in its condemning force. Uh, there's more to say about that, but we, we're not going to talk about that on this episode. And we've been joined to Christ, so uh, we have him. Uh, Romans chapter eight talks about the work of the Spirit and how the Spirit His works in us to help us to live out that Christian life. Even in so much as He helps us, He helps us to pray when we don't even know what to pray for. He's the one that sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. He's the one that gives us that that assurance, that hope of future glory. Uh, so. This is a critical passage to understand, and I know you love Romans chapter 8 especially.
1: I do. I love Romans. I love the whole 5 through 8. Just, just from a counseling perspective, there's much in Romans 5 through 8 for us to meditate on because it produces the framework that allows us to help one another. Because to know how to live out this Christian life so that it's not just this, these philosophical concepts, but rather Romans 5, I think, puts flesh onto the gospel. What does the gospel look like? How does, it, how does it matter on a day-to-day basis? It matters because Romans 6, I'm no longer under the penalty of sin. Therefore, I'm free. But I'm not free to do whatever I want. I'm free to do what God's called me to do. I'm free to mortify, to kill, to cut off sin. But yet Romans but, that, but yet you get to Romans 7 and you see this great argument Paul has with himself about how that's a struggle and we all understand that struggle. So that so that anyone who tries to tell you that when you become a Christian life just becomes easy has never spent any time reading Romans 7 because if if <laughs> Paul sits here and struggles with the things that I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do, I do do. What am I supposed to do? If that's where Paul's at, then why do we think we get to escape that? But – Then his summary is Romans 8, as Jeremy's already talked about. And you get to Romans 8, 1, which is just so amazing. There there now, therefore, is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, I stand free. I am no longer condemned from the guilt that ultimately I should have on me. Jesus has set me free from it. And there's just, I love Romans 8. And just what it speaks to, and as Jeremy already has laid out, that ultimately we have this hope and this future glory. Which that then leads us transition-wise into Romans 9 through 11, the next section. Now, Romans 9 through 11 can get a bad reputation yeah. because to, for a lot of people, it's hard. So I'm going to lay out some of the controversy quickly, and then I'm going to let Jeremy explain what he, what's actually going on. So just quickly, some of the controversy is in Romans 9 and 10 especially, you get probably the greatest lengthy explanation of predestination in Scripture. So that becomes controversial to some people because of just it doesn't fit into how they view the rest of scripture. So they have to, we have to wrestle with that. Then you get to Romans 11, and Romans 11 is anyone, whatever your opinion is on the end times, you think Romans 11 proves your point. (laughs) And so that becomes part of the challenge. And so that's why sometimes people will. Shy away, especially from Romans 9 and Romans 11, but they'll talk about Romans 10 because there those verses in Romans 10 about what salvation is and how we're supposed to express the gospel and how can they hear without a
0: preacher. And so, yeah, you'll hear lots of sermons on Romans 10, you hear but lots Romans of sermons 9 or, and 11. Rom- <laughs> we don't want you, it, to talk about this, right?
1: You get you get sermons on Romans 10 9 through 10 15, <laughs> and the rest <laughs> of it's like it's in the Bible, huh? What, but yeah, so Jeremy, with all that being said, what's Paul's argument, Romans 9 through 11?
0: Well, and I would say this, this section is the most controversial in Romans, other than Romans chapter 7. Um, but we don't have time to delve into that. So, Paul has been arguing throughout the, his letter to Romans, as I said, that um, the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles. And so, this section is dealing with what about the Jews? Um, and what Paul says in Romans 9, without going into any detail because of the constraints of time, um, is that it's always been God's choice. Um, he gives the example of I, uh, Isaac and then Jacob as being God's choice. Um, so it, God, the intention never was that God was going to save every descendant of Abraham, he made choices all along the way. He saved Isaac, not Ishmael. He saved Jacob, not Esau. Um, so it's always been by God's choice, and that's, the, that's what Romans chapter 9 really um, brings forward. And then Romans chapter 10 talks about faith being key, um, and that the reason why the Jews weren't being saved um, is because they wouldn't believe. So faith is critical as well. And so it's always been God's choice, and it's always been by faith. And throughout the history of the Old Testament, you can find people who were under the Old Covenant, yet they refused to believe time and time again. And they're, it, the prophets are preaching against these people. Um, <laughs> Moses dealt with them in the wilderness. Joshua dealt with them. All the kings dealt with people like this. Um They didn't believe, so it was never. It's always been God's choice. It's always been by faith, and those who refuse to believe have have been rejected, and that's how it's always been through the Old Testament. So Paul's really saying here that there's nothing new here. Um, Then in Romans chapter eleven, Paul. Paul really shows how all of this is going to work out in the end. Um, And the example that he, the illustration he uses is an olive branch, and he talks about Jews as being natural olive branches, and they were cut off because they refused to believe when Christ came, and Gentiles were included. So I'm not say, I'm not saying that the church replaced Israel. What I'm saying is Israel was expanded to include Gentiles as well. And the so if Paul's argument is that if Gentiles can be included who aren't natural branches, then the branches that are natural can be included. In other words, there's still hope for Jews to turn to Christ and be saved. There's still salvation available for for the Jews. The the new covenant didn't cut off all opportunities for Jews to be made right with God. It it just expanded it to include Gentiles as well. So and there's there's other issues there as well, but um one of the things we know is that it's it's a mystery. It's mysterious how God is going to work out all his promises. Uh, but a mystery doesn't mean it's not going to happen. <laughs> it just means we don't know how it's all going to work out. And uh, as Paul... And whenever whenever we come across a mystery, like when we talk about the Trinity, and even two weeks ago, we talked about the two natures of Christ and we don't we don't just go we don't give up the faith. We say no, this is a reason to worship God because God is greater than we can understand. God's works are greater than we understand. And Paul concludes that way in Romans chapter 11 after he meditates on these realities and says for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So he he praises God for how He's going to work this out, and I have an idea of what I think, uh, because. <laughs> but uh, Matthew disagrees with me, and other friends disagree with me about how this is going to work out. But ultimately, you know, we'll see when we get there. We don't. We don't know for sure. We try. We do our best to understand what Scripture says, and uh, trust God to work it out in His own timing and. In the way that he sees fit." So that's Romans 9 through 11, fascinating passage of Scripture. Uh, In some ways, if you've never dealt with these passages, it's going to be head-scratching and uh, a lot of thinking, uh, but it's good to stretch. It is, and I think, but I think the ultimate takeaway
1: is what you just finished with, in that as Paul writes and meditates, he can't help but finish
0: by worshiping god right and even predestination you know we don't i have my viewpoint but i don't understand how it all works together right and again it's the lack of understanding doesn't mean i abandon what the bible teaches because i don't understand it it's that i have to realize god's smarter than i am right and so that and and be since god
1: is smarter than i am then the natural inclination of my heart should be to worship. Right. And so then, from that, Paul transitions into the last section, which is 12 through 16, which is, okay, so now that he's laid out and talked through all this doctrine, how does this work itself out? What does this look like? What are the... The practical ramifications of this truth. And, and so if you spend any time reading Paul, you realize he does this in, in almost every letter he writes. He'll lay out the doctrine of the theology, and then he lays out the practical. So 12 through 16 is the practical ramifications of, the, of this truth. Starting with the fact that in chapter 12, that... I am now a living sacrifice. Jesus now owns me. Why don't you read that passage, man? So so you get to verses one and two of, of Romans twelve. I appeal to you therefore, I appear to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.
0: I, and I, I think that is so important as a transition to where he's going to start giving commands and things like that, because we often think—we often get this idea, of if we obey, God's going to bless us, um, or if we obey, we're going to make it to heaven. It all turns back to works. But Paul's saying we're giving ourselves to God as a sacrifice. So it's, it's an act of devotion to God. It's an act of love for God. To live in obedience to Him, as Paul describes in these passage in this section that we're looking at, right? And I, I think I really think Romans 12, 1 through two is the key to everything that comes after it. I would agree because and because
1: because we're living sacrifice, we understand. Then he transitions into okay. Now, each of you have a different gift or a different role in the church, but not only do you have a different gift and a role in the church, you also have these marks of what makes you a true Christian, what do you look like, What is? how do you operate— how do you therefore, because you are a sacrifice, now verse chapters thirteen, you can submit to authorities. How do
0: you relate, and how do you relate to the authorities? Right.
1: How do you get along with the authorities? How do you, how do you do those things? Then you get to fourteen and fifteen, which is Christian liberty. How do you get along with people that don't agree with you? <laughs> right. So, but all of that flows out of the fact that I'm a living sacrifice that I'm giving myself to God, and and
0: even Paul's. Plea for help on missions, right? Is is Paul giving himself to God for the cause of the gospel? So, um, you know, all all of this is ways we're living out being a living sacrifice to Christ. Um, I especially like Romans fourteen and fifteen. Being a recovering fundamentalist, <laughs> uh, we didn't read this this stuff in church because you know
1: <laughs> I understand there
0: there is no freedom there. But um, these these are important. Romans, all of this is important. And, and you've probably all heard sermons on Romans 13 now uh, because of COVID. <laughs> so we, we don't even have to talk about that because I'm sure you all heard sermons on that recently. Uh, but Romans 14 and 15 is so, so important. I mean, even when you're getting into disagreements about ma- masks and vaccines, um, how do you get along with people? Who, Christian, good Christian brothers who disagree. Um, it's it's a great chapter to read to help help work through that and give people liberty, and uh, and and for you to live for God, following your own conscience, because Christ is the Lord of your conscience, not me, not Matthew, not your pastor, and especially not the Pope. So. Yeah, I especially love um,
1: Romans 15, verse 13. I myself am satisfied about you, my brother, that you were full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. Why is that important? Because to me, that's one of the theological groundworks of why we do biblical counseling. Because we're able to come alongside each other because we hold the truth. Because we have this Christian freedom, because we have given ourselves as a living sacrifice, I know that I can depend upon those Others who, like me, have given themselves who can provide me wisdom through Scripture to show me how to help the situations and the struggles that I have. And so I just particularly like that verse but that fits into this overall pattern of what Christian freedom looks like. That I'm not dependent upon... Jeremy's saying semi-jestingly, we're not dependent upon the Pope, but we're not. We're not dependent upon a priest or a Pope. We can go to each other because we have this freedom to know and to understand Scripture and to speak it into each other's lives. Right.
0: So I'd I'd like to close with uh, the final verses of Paul's letter. It's a doxology, and it's very fitting after all we've discussed. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel—
1: a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate to this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship where we are striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.